my heart God's brought you here today for a reason you say Ryan I come every week I know as we desire to lift Jesus up today I pray that speak to your heart Father, I ask that, Lord, you'd help us to put aside uh, the distractions of our day and, Lord, that we would just hear from your word this morning and, Father, your spirit would be so evident. And, uh, Father, I pray that, Lord, you and you alone would get all of the glory, that we would humble ourselves before you so that you might be lifted up. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of the young people, you may be dismissed this time. Say, Duran is heading to the back there for, uh, for your class. Take your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter 1. I forgot, I forgot to mention one announcement and actually really quick, two announcements. Um, please pray for, please pray for Carla. Uh, in our church. She will have her third brain surgery on Wednesday. And so please, please be in prayer for her. We're, uh, we're, we're praying for just a, uh, just a mighty moving there and been battling seizures uh, for whole life. And we pray that this would be uh, that, uh, that procedure that would alleviate those. If it be uh, the Lord's will, we of course submit to His sovereignty. But, uh, but please pray for pray for her. It starts at 5 a.m. At least that's what we're praying for, right? 5 a.m. And then the uh, the second announcement, which is nowhere near as important as that one, uh, that will be on Wednesday night at seven o'clock uh, for our midweek Bible study. Uh, we're going to be all wearing ugly sweaters. Okay, so we're gonna have an ugly sweater competition and. Uh, we will all vote, and whoever wins gets a $25 Cheesecake Factory gift card, okay? Now listen, I've already, I've already bought mine, and it's pretty ugly. So, uh, and you know, I just kind of make it uglier all on its own, uh, but we're going we're gonna to enjoy that. So if, if, you, if you normally come on Wednesday night, I'd encourage you, uh, maybe overnight something on Amazon. There's some goodies on Amazon and uh, let's enjoy our time. But that'll start at 7 o'clock. And uh, we've been meeting here. Uh, Carla, yeah? You can make, yeah, you can wait You can and send a picture. But uh, we'll, we'll meet here in the fireside room. We'll have cookies and, and also we'll have a nice fire going. And it, it'll be a great time. I hope you, I hope if you can, that you'll be a part of it. Matthew um, chapter number 1. And uh, we... Uh, we started last week a series entitled Christmas Grace, and uh, I asked you to kind of let me preach the message once you got the title, and uh, we're gonna do the, I'm going to do the very same thing today. Uh, the title of this morning's message is Christmas Grace 
from Bathsheba's rooftop. Christmas grace from Bathsheba's rooftop. And uh, if any of you are uh, a little little nervous, you, you've got 15 days before Christmas. Just so you know, you know if you've got more presents to uh, to buy, 15 days uh, before the uh, before the great day of Christmas when we when we celebrate our our Savior's birth. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but there are four stages of of manhood. Okay, there's four stages. There's the first stage that he believes in Santa Claus. And the second stage is he doesn't believe in Santa Claus. The third stage is he is Santa Claus. And the fourth stage, I'm not there yet, praise God, he looks like Santa Claus. Okay, and so uh, just, just keep that mental note there. I don't know what stage you're in uh, with that. But have you ever noticed how life doesn't, it doesn't always go and it doesn't turn out the way that you carefully plan for it to? And uh, that, that that happens regularly when you are uh, when you're running a church and trying to you know orchestrate things. It, it doesn't turn out like you planned. But there was this there was this one mother. She was uh, she was extremely busy and uh, she wanted to get uh, her Christmas cards out to all of the all the family and friends. And it was just getting busy. She waited till the last minute, and uh, so she knew that she wanted to send out 49 of them. So she got a packet of she got a packet of 50. And she ran home real quick, and she put all of the all of the addresses on it, and she sent it out to her 49 uh, friends and family. And uh, once it got a little bit less hectic, basically uh, Christmas Day, so once everything kind of settled down, she said, "You know what? I'd like to. I, I think I ought to read the card that I uh, got for everybody." And uh, the card said, "This this card is just to say a little gift is on its way." And so now she's got to send out. Uh, 49 presents. It doesn't always go as planned, and certainly that'd be a bummer for that mom. But last week we we started to look at the the, the heritage or the lineage of Jesus Christ, and uh, the Old Testament it prepares and it's it, it prepares us for Christmas morning, and all of the Old Testament does. Every story that you read, it's preparing us for that Christmas morning. In the New Testament, it opens up with a genealogy that rings with significance for your life as well as mine. Jesus' ancestry, it may surprise you. His genealogy includes some names that you might be shocked to find in the royal line of the King of Kings. Rather, His genealogy includes all sorts of people. And Jesus' family tree is not simply just a list of names to skim over, but it's actually the substance of the Gospel. The genealogy of Jesus offers a bird's eye view of God's active and historic promise of redemption. Matthew lists these names deliberately with the promise of the Messiah in mind. In fact, his genealogy is less a just a static list and more the makings of a great drama. Names like Abraham remind us that the line of Israel was saved with the extraordinary birth of Isaac. And if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, there was a really there was kind of a lack of faith and and, and, and Abraham, he was 100 years old, and they thought we're never going to have any children. And so, of course, they, uh, they, they, they brought in another woman into the picture, and, and Ishmael was born. And then finally, God gives the promised seed 
of Abraham and it's Isaac. And you read that here in the lineage of Jesus. You also have names like David, who is very, very famous, to obscure names like Eliakim. The genealogy unfolds and uncovers the drama of Israel's redemption. And then there's an amazing inclusion of four women. It's amazing. You also could include Mary, although she's not technically listed in the lineage, but you know that she was the earthly mother of Jesus Christ. And the, a typical Hebrew genealogy, it always excluded women. And to find four, without mentioning Mary, women's names in a single brief genealogy, it's absolutely remarkable. Even more extraordinary is that none of these four women epitomize the kind of person we would expect to find in the royal heritage of the King of Kings. All of them were outcasts, yet they made it into Jesus' family album. They are a strong assurance of God's grace to sinners like you and me. Take Tamar. Tamar, she disguised herself as a prostitute and she slept with her father-in-law Judah. Or Rahab, who was the prostitute, she hid Israelite spies in Jericho because she trusted God's power to save. And then Ruth, who we looked at last week, who was a Moabitess, and she was forbidden from entering into the family of Israel until Boaz took her as a wife, and she was the she was basically the fruit of many generations later of incest in the cave with Lot after Sodom and Gomorrah, his daughters got him to become drunk and then slept with their father so that their seed could continue, and their seed was Moab, and Ruth was a Moabitess. And then Bathsheba, the one that we're going to study today, she is simply listed as Uriah's wife. She committed adultery with the king of the land. And then Mary, the very mother of Jesus, she was scorned by being pregnant and unmarried. That is a very kind of a social norm in our day today. However, in biblical time, it would have been of great danger. Many times, some of them, they were even put to death at times if there was a pregnancy outside of marriage. Before we even read any of the text or the genealogy, I want to make this statement. These men and women... They represent the people Jesus came from and the people Jesus came for. This is, this is His line. These are His skeletons in His closet are these types of people. Jesus did not come from an upstanding royalty. The Son of God chose to enter this particular family line knowing well of its waywardness and it's sin. Brian Stevenson, an author and a lawyer who works with incarcerated people, says this, you are more than the worst thing you have ever done. The Savior's birth at the end of this family tree proclaims that sentiment exactly, that you are more than the worst thing you have ever done. Oh, your sin? 100%. It is great. But God's love for you, 
is greater still. You are more than the very worst thing that you've ever done. I don't know what your, I don't know what your background looks like. But listen, no matter, no matter what you have in your life, you find Christmas grace in Jesus Christ. You find what is needed to, uh, to, to move beyond that, to receive the help and the aid from that. And so let's read the famous passage of Matthew chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as His mother was espoused, Mary, mother, Mary, mother Mary, excuse me, was espoused to Joseph before they came together, Hence, she was a virgin. That word's even used in many other, many other places. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. In other words, there was, he was going to do a private bill of divorcement. Okay? Back in Bible days, and uh, an engagement was a very serious thing. It was kind of a, a binding thing, and they did not consummate the marriage until after they had the actual wedding. And so the, the news comes out. Obviously, it's becoming maybe evident that Mary is expectant. They're not married yet. She's the scorn of the town. He's like, you know what? Hey, let's, let's not make her a private example. Let's kind of, let's not make her a public example. Give her a bill of divorcement. Verse number 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That, that text that is so often preached throughout the, throughout the month of Christmas. And we looked at it last week, and I purposefully put it in there again this week. But I want us to go, again, long before the actual time there in Bethlehem. Long before the actual incarnation of God in the flesh in the person of Jesus. And I want us to go back to when David stayed home from battle. Up in the genealogy in Matthew 1, verse 5, it says, and, and Salmon begat Bo, Booz or Boaz of Rechab or, 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 um, and, and Booz begat Obed of Ruth and Obed begat Jesse and Jesse begat David the king and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And so the wife of Urias, she's not mentioned here, but she is referenced here, and her name is Bathsheba. And so let's go back to the Old Testament. And as I said, all of the Old Testament is preparing you for the incarnation of Christ and then the life that He would live. And so let's, let's look at her story. In 2 Samuel, the words will be up on the screen, chapter 11, we'll begin reading verse number 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab 
and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon. That's familiar. We, we actually looked at that people group last week. In other words, they, 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 they come out and besieged Rabah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And the one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And so Bathsheba, the beginning of this chapter, she's, she's bathing herself on, uh, the, uh, on, on, on her rooftop. And David sees her. David would have been in the king's house. It would have been, you know, a higher, higher than most of the, all of the other homes. And so he looks down from his rooftop. He sees Bathsheba bathing. He begins to lust after her and he calls her to, uh, to his home. And they both have, they, they, they have an adulterous affair. That's what you would, that's what you're reading there in that text. And they, based on that union, a child is born. Now, when David learns of Bathsheba being pregnant, he kind of goes into cover-up mode. I'll kind of rehash the rest of that chapter there. He, he brings Uriah back from the, uh, back from the battle. And he says, hey, I want you to, I want you to spend the evening with your wife. He was assuming that he would have just regular relations with his wife. He'd been away at battle, hadn't seen her for a while, and so he sends Uriah to his wife for that night. But you'll read in the text that Uriah doesn't go in under her. Instead, he sleeps at the door. He did. He felt like it wasn't right for him to enjoy the pleasures of his wife while his men were still on the battlefield and still fighting. And so David learns of this, and David begins to scheme a little bit more, and he ultimately gets Uriah drunk. And he's thinking, hey, this will work. And so he sends Uriah back to his wife, and once again, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, go in unto his wife and doesn't have normal physical relations with her. He was trying to make the people think, well, sure, she's naturally with child. Well, it's from her husband. Well, he doesn't go in. He's a man of character. He's thinking of his men that are still on the battle. And so now David's in quite a dilemma. So what David does is he sends Uriah to the forefronts of the battle, and then he has the troops retreat. And basically, he's murdered. So David called Bathsheba and they have an adulterous affair and then ultimately he ends up murdering her husband Uriah by having the soldiers retreat. And then he takes her as a wife. And now hoping that that can, you know, just well of course we're, we're, we're newlyweds but I think people can do the math. Ultimately it comes out and uh, David is confronted. David repents. Uh, you, you can read of that in, uh, in Psalm 51. It's a beautiful psalm of his. And he's retelling, many believe, of the sins there of Bathsheba. And so the child conceived by adultery doesn't live long. It, it, it dies shortly after birth. But ultimately, uh, they, they, she, she bore another son. And his name was Solomon. And Solomon became the next link in the messianic line. 
And thus Bathsheba, though guilty of an act of sinful adultery, also became part of the line that would culminate in the birth of Jesus. What a genealogy Matthew gives us. We started last week with, with incest in a cave that brought about Moab, which ultimately would bring about Ruth, and Boaz would marry Ruth and would become into the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's almost as if Matthew is nominating people for the, for the hall of shame. Here are two harlots. One cursed Moabite is the product of incest and adulteress. There are only four women mentioned in the entire genealogy, and every one of them was an outcast. And Jehoiania and all the evil kings of Judah that preceded him, and it begins to seem like Jesus' royal genealogy, hear me, was filled with sinners. But that's just the point. That is the point of the genealogy. Matthew was writing his Gospel for an expressly Jewish audience much have realized by, or that they must have realized by deliberating emphasis here, these four women, he was confronting their self-righteousness and the arrogance of their pharisaical traditions. The reality that the uh, messianic line was populated by Gentiles, fornicators, adulterers, liars, murderers, cursed kings, and other sinners was something that most of Matthew's readers would have preferred to kind of leave out. Hence why Matthew is bringing it up. We have the inerrant Word of God. This is not the Word of man. Because I assure you, if I would have written the Bible, listen, I would have left out a lot of this nastiness. I'd have left out incest. I'd have left out adultery that led to murder. I'd have left out next week the ladies I'm going to already the cat out of the bag. We're going to look at harlots that are in the lineage of Jesus. Talk about radical people. Talk about radical grace that you find at Christmas. That you find in Jesus Christ. But why? Why these men? Why these women? Well, let me try to answer that for you. The people in the messianic genealogy are not on display. God's grace is. It's never been about man. It's always been about Christ. It's always been about what He will come and He will do. Bathsheba and Rahab, for example, they're memorable not because of their sin, but because of God's mercy in forgiving them. Jesus Christ, hear me, hear me about to say, Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. That ought to, honestly, that ought to excite you because here's what I am here to tell you this morning. Some of you, I've never met you before until today. Thanks for being here today, but you're a sinner. And you and I, we ought to be thankful that Jesus Christ is a friend to sinners. We ought to be thankful that these, these radical stories of just kind of things that we would probably want to separate ourselves from are in the very family tree of Jesus Christ. Luke 7, verse 34 says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. What did Jesus say of Himself? We said in Matthew 9.13, But go ye and learn what thou meaneth, what, what, what that meaneth. 
I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came, Jesus came to live among sinners. He experienced what we experienced. He was tempted like you and I are with the, even some of the stories that we read. He would have been tempted with those things. But Jesus Christ, He was completely without sin. The author of Hebrews tells us, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus, who, who walked this earth, who came from a lineage of sinners, and some of them radical sinners. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look back on my weeks and I'm thinking, I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I did that. I know what most think. Most people want a perfect pastor. Listen, I'm far, far from that. And so you read stories like this and you think, yes, this is what I need at Christmas. I need the grace that comes with that. Because Jesus, He walked this earth. Jesus, he, he, he was tempted like we are, yet, the author of Hebrews says, without sin. He did so without sin, but you know what Jesus did? Jesus took your sin and my sin, and he took it and he died on the cross. He paid for that. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, one who knew no sin, Jesus became sin, Paul said, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus, he, he, he became sin for us. That is the absolute grace of God. And let me say this. How devastating this genealogy is when we see it for what God intended it to be. It strikes a blow in the face of legalism. Of self-righteousness and human religion. You want to know what Jesus you know what you, you want to know what God doesn't want this morning? God doesn't want us this morning to leave here and be like, "Man, I'm so glad I'm better than that other guy." That's not what this genealogy says. You know what this genealogy says? Genealogy says, "Hey, this world is full of wrecked people." And every one of them need to turn to the grace that is found in Christmas in Christ. All of us this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, then you need to run to Him to find that rescue for you to have your sins forgiven and for, whole, for heaven to be your home. But can I say also, for those of you that do know Christ, those of you that have already accepted Him as your Savior, you also need that grace this morning. You are not to leave here and think, Man, I'm glad I would never do what David did. Instead, you know what we ought to do? We ought to examine our week. We ought to examine our thought life. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you even think ill towards somebody else, if you've got hatred in your heart, if you, if you despise anybody, you know what he says? You might as well have just killed them already. Jesus said, hey, that opposite gender walks by and you begin to lust in your heart. committed adultery in your heart already. And so the two things that we see in Bathsheba's story, I'll be honest with you. I hope you're okay with honesty. Wow. I need Jesus too. I need every bit of it. Strikes to the heart of our religion. 
our righteousness. It underscores the truth that Jesus identifies with sinners. I'm so thankful for that because I am one. Paul said he is chief. Paul was saying, out of all the sinners, hey, I'm number one. Most times we don't look at Paul like that. We look at Paul as, you know, kind of the great patriarch of the church, so to speak, apart from Christ being the rock. You know what it does? It puts a holy spotlight on God's grace. Now I realize you might skip the genealogy come Christmas morning. I get that. You're going to read it aloud. But don't overlook its message of grace, which after all is the heart of the Christmas story. God in His mercy doing for sinners what they cannot do for themselves. That is why He came. So that He could save people. In Luke 2, another parallel passage of the Christmas story we read, or, or no, excuse me, in, 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 um, in our chapter here. And she shall bring forth a son, Matthew 121, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now here's the best part of it. The same grace that was evident in that genealogy is available to you this morning. It's available to change your life. It's available to turn you from darkness to light. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, that grace is available to you this morning. And it is also available to the, to the believer that stumbled this week. Right? It's available to the, to, the, to the husband that didn't speak kindly to his wife this week. It's available to the, to the wife that, 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 that thought maybe her husband was a little overbearing. Hey, the grace is available to parents that got a little too angry with their kids this week. Now, I know that wasn't me because my kids haven't been here since Thanksgiving, so that's only you that sinned that way. But no. Man, as a parent, I need so much grace. I'm so impatient with my kids. I want them to, I want them to be perfect. Grace is here for you this morning. No sin, no matter how heinous, puts sinners beyond the reach of God. Nothing. Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, by Jesus Christ. When you trace back the lineage of Jesus, you, you come to the rooftop of Bathsheba. And you begin to picture what took place and just the, just the grotesqueness of that, uh, of that adulterous affair that took place, the smells of that, and then the murder, the taking of the man's life. You come to that type of thing. Look at the Old Testament. It's shocking. It's nauseating. However, the long-awaited son of David was born to bring salvation to those type of people. Jesus is the, is the, I said this last week, it, he's the bouquet, the bouquet of grace. Would you embrace him this morning? If you don't know Christ, it starts with submitting, realizing that you are a sinner and you trust him as your savior. That's where it starts. But Christian, would you run to him again this morning? Would you embrace that grace? Would you acknowledge that Matthew put that genealogy in there as an affront to say, Jesus, you came for me. You came for, for my sin. 
gospel will lift our spirits. Remember that 2 Samuel 11 is not the last chapter in the Bible. And so whatever sin that you have been struggling with, bring that to Christ in your prayer this morning. Whatever sin or disaster that you've encountered, it is not the end. Whatever happened this week, it's not the end. Find grace in Christmas in Christ this morning to move forward. The Savior with a checkered lineage and a dysfunctional family story has come to remake you and to renew you. Sin doesn't have to be your last word. And so in the darkness of that of that rooftop and the in that room later, and then the murder some days later, in the darkness of all of that, in the darkness around this world, can I encourage you to rejoice because Jesus came to make that right. Jesus came to change that. So whatever you're facing, I'd encourage you to run to Jesus right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Man, I pray that you would embrace that grace this morning. Quietness in this room, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking. Embrace it. Say, Ryan, you don't, you don't know what I've done. Embrace it. And ask the Lord to help you to turn from whatever it is you're thinking about. Whatever it is that you're saying you did, or thought, or said. this genealogy tells me that there's hope. That there's hope for radical sinners like you and me. Father, we thank you once again for your grace. 